This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Hey, well, good morning. Uh, how are we? It's always this side of the room that's a little that's a little stronger. Makes me. Hey, don't look at me like that. I'm just saying that's the facts. I heard it right here. So I, I'm going to assume everybody's all right. Um, or maybe not. Maybe this is the side of the room. It's like, man, we're a mess. Like, you sit over there if you got everything together. Over here, we're just a mess. Um, that's why I sit over here. Whew. Anyway, so glad you're here. Uh, my name's Corey. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, we moved here in 2017 to start the church. To give a brief background, if you're new, we spent a year building community groups, and then we started services in September 2018. Uh, and so we're still very young in this process of, of starting a church. Uh, but we are really glad that, that you are here. Let me just say this. I believe that um, God wants you not to just be a passive participant of a church. Um, God wants you to be an active contributor um, for others, but also for you. If you've ever led anything or taught anything, or, or like you know that we, we grow and learn the most when we're actively engaged. We're not just passively sitting back. And so uh, I want to encourage you to take advantage of everything you can um, and actively participate and contribute and engage uh, in your church. And so, uh, yeah, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2 today. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. Uh, Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Uh, We are working through the book of Mark, and so um, based on numerical order, we're going to go in chronological order. We're, We're at the still front end of the book of Mark. Um, So Mark chapter two, Uh, I I was reviewing my sermon this morning and the introduction they teach you in seminary is to like create tension. Like why does somebody want to listen to this? And my introduction was just terrible and so I just scratched it. So there's no introduction. Um, And so um, let's just get going. Let's let the word speak for itself. Mark chapter two, verses 13 to 17 He's talking about Jesus, went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And Levi, he rose and followed him. And as he, Jesus reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came, to call the right, not, the, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners." What I believe God wants us to see today is that his invitation to follow him is given to anyone and everyone. And that it's our recognition of our our need for his grace that that opens us up to receive and to, to sit in his presence and to be near his grace. And so as you're as we're listening today, as we're, we're looking at God's words, be thinking about have you chosen to follow Jesus? Have you trusted and are you, are you following him? Do you today recognize your need for God's grace? 
No matter where you are in your your spiritual journey, do you recognize your your need for God's grace? Or have you hardened your heart thinking that you're good on your own or better than others? We see here Jesus, he calls calls Levi to follow him. Fun fact, Levi is the same of Matthew. Matthew and Levi are the same person here. Um, For some reason, they just had multiple names I don't really understand why. Like, it's one thing if it's like, you know, the name's Matthew and he goes by Matt, but, but never is it like, hey, Matthew, we'll call you Levi, right? Like that, I don't follow that, but I, so I don't know why he had a Levi and a Matthew and it's fine, it's whatever, but that's a fun fact. Levi and Matthew are the same person. So Jesus, he calls Levi to, to follow him. And at this point in the story, it's not unusual for Jesus to invite people to, to follow him, right? Jesus has said in Mark 1 over here, right, that he's come to bring God's kingdom and he's inviting people to follow him, to repent and to believe. A Christian, a disciple of Jesus is someone who receives that invitation, who trusts Jesus and, and that trust actively moves that person to follow. It's what we talked about last week. True faith is a faith that not only believes, but then that belief is so real that it, it moves somebody to actively obey, to actively follow. That's what a disciple is. Um, but let's, let's talk about that a little bit more of what it actually means, that, that what it means for you and I to, to follow Jesus. The invitation that Jesus is giving Levi is to let go of anything and everything and to surrender his life to following Jesus. It, it means to, to go where he goes, to do what he does, to, to say what, what he says. Imagine that, that we're, at a, we're, at a, we're at a dance. Let's just turn this room into a dance, right? And we're, we're all like Callum Scott, just dancing on your own. That's a great song. Um, and we're just doing our own thing. And then Rob comes up and he's like, Congo line, let's go, right? And... And so what do I do for a Congo line? If you've never been to a dance and been on a Congo line, like we're, we'll have to do that later, you're missing out. But like Rob's like, let's, let's start a Congo line. Great. So what am I going to do? I'm going I'm to put my hand on Rob's hips. That's a Tootsie Roll, right? And, and then where you go, I'm going. So if Rob goes this way, the Congo line, I'm following him. And then someone else, man, they, they grab onto me and they're following me, right? So to, to follow Rob means to go where he's going. It's, it's to stop dancing on my own. And now I'm going to follow Rob. Like I'm going to link up with him and I'm going to, I'm going to follow him, right? There's not many dancers here. I would have expected a little more interaction here. I mean, gosh, it's fine. But, but that's, the, that's the image of, of Levi. Hey, you want to follow me? Well, stop doing things on your own and, and grab onto me. Follow me. Follow in my steps. Where I go, you go. What I do, you do. So that's the invitation that Jesus is giving Levi. Hey, come on, come with me. Get up, let's go. Leave what you're doing. Stop going your own way and, and come my way. Follow me. But I, I want to give even a bigger picture. I haven't, haven't busted out the whiteboard in a while. Um, and so I wanted to give a bigger picture of what Jesus is, is inviting Levi into because it's the same invitation for you and me. And so we need to know what we are being invited into, right? So the Bible teaches that God is one God, in three persons, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God Jesus, the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that for all of eternity, God has been there. 
Before the world ever existed, God was present. And the Bible says that for all of eternity, God is selflessly giving joy and community and love and service to one another. God the Father loves and serves and gives to the Son and God the Son loves and serves and gives to the Father and to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit to the Son and the Father. There is this this communion that is taking place in God himself. One of the, the songs that we sang talked about that. No, the prayer that you read, that on his own, God is perfectly happy Before the world ever existed, before you and I were here, God was perfectly content within himself because God is communal. God is giving and receiving love and perfection within himself. And so God doesn't need anything. God doesn't need you and me. God doesn't need the world. He is perfectly content and satisfied in and of himself, which is great news for us. Because that means when God creates the world, he doesn't create the world because he's like, oh my gosh, I need people to love me or my love tank is going to be low. I need people to glorify me or I'm going to be short on my glory. No, he creates the world and he creates you and me and every human being because God wants to share his divine communion with us. God wants to share himself with us. He wants to give freely of his fullness of joy and life and love to us. And so that's why God creates you and me is to invite us in to share in his divine fellowship. But the Bible says that we have all chosen to go our own way. We've all chosen like, hey, God, thanks, but no thanks. I I like life my, my own way. I'm going to make my own choices. I'm going to go dance on my own. Thank you for the invitation. I'm good. Every one of us, we've all done that. At some point, in some way, some thought, some word, some action, we've all told God, hey, I, I know better. Maybe not said those words, but our actions demonstrate, right? I, I got this. And the Bible says that that separates us from his divine fellowship, from from this communion that he created us for. And now we all seek the fullness of life. Everybody wants to be happier. Everybody wants more in life. None of you are like, I've reached the pinnacle. Like it's, I'm there. We're all wanting more because we've walked away from the fullness of life, God himself. God's love is so incredible that even when we rejected him, even when we walked away from his beautiful, perfect gift, God the Son came to earth to fix what we broke, to restore that communion for us, the created, with God the creator. And so the invitation for Levi the invitation for you and for me is that when we trust in Jesus, when, when we really truly trust him and give our lives to him, that he restores us back into communion with God. And, and one day in heaven, it's gonna be perfect. We're not gonna have our, our mistakes. We're not gonna have people around us that, that pull us down. It's gonna be perfect. But until then, we are invited into a real relationship with a living God that can progressively forever get better and better and better in him. 
That doesn't mean that we don't have hard days. We don't have suffering. We don't have hard things. It just means that now in God, those hard things can actually be leveraged for something good. That God can take our suffering and our mistakes even, and God can say, hey, you know what? I'm so incredible and I love you so much. I'm gonna take that mistake. I'm actually gonna use it for good. There's something better that I'm gonna make for you through this. And so God invites us back into that relationship and the invitation given to Levi, the invitation given to us from Jesus is, hey, follow me, trust me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That fullness that you're looking for, that desire for more that you're looking for, it's not in finances, it's not in money, that runs out. And even if you make it all the way to the end of your life, one day we're gonna die and someone else is gonna take it and use it a completely different way than we ever wanted in the first place. That fullness that your heart craves, it's not in a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It's not in a marriage, it's not in kids. Those are all good things, but they're gonna let you down. They're not ultimately gonna satisfy. That craving in our hearts for, for more, for satisfaction, it's not in that dream job. It's not in working your way up until you're at the top of the food chain. Because that job, it's, it's gonna let us down. That longing in our heart is for communion with the fullness of life himself, God. That's what we're created for. And in following Jesus, trusting Jesus, that's how we are reconciled, rejoined into that communion. That's the invitation that Jesus is giving Levi. Hey, trust me, I, I am the way. And Levi goes. He, he leaves his secure, steady job and he follows Jesus. He lets go of everything his own way and he trusts Jesus and follows him. Now this may come as, as a shocker, but Levi can't do both. If Jesus says, hey, follow me, Levi can't say, yes, I'm going to follow you and I'm gonna stay here. If I'm wanting to leave this room, I can't go through both doors at the same time, right? I can go through one door at a time. If Levi's gonna follow Jesus, he can't say, yes, Jesus, I'm following you and I'm gonna hold tightly to my own life. Proverbs 14, 12 says that there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. There's a way that seems right, that seems good, that logically everything seems to make sense. Like this is what I should do. This is what I should chase after. And the Bible tells us from beginning to end, if it's your own way, it's going to lead to death. But Jesus said, I came that you would have life and have it abundantly. Jesus comes to bring another way. Jesus comes to restore a path back to a relationship with God. And we can't do both. When I was 15, man, I, I prayed some prayer when I was seven because I, I didn't want to go to hell. I was scared of hell. And I was like, I want to go to heaven, right? So I prayed some prayer thinking that I could live my own life and get heaven at the end of the day if I just prayed this prayer. And then one day God spoke to me. I mean, it was as clear as I can ever remember. I was 15 years old, I told this before. I was at camp. I was the second row, second seat over, sitting next to a guy named Rick. And, and God was like, hey, Corey, you can live for yourself 
or you can live for me, but you cannot do both. It's physically impossible. Hey, Levi, you can follow me. Come on. It's the path of life or you can do your own thing, but you can't do both. Hey, Mark, you can follow Jesus or you can set your own path. Those options are there, but you can't do both. We, the invitation to follow Jesus is to let go of self, is to stop choosing my own way and to trust and follow the way of Jesus. It's to, it's to trust him. So, so does that mean then that you don't ever make decisions in your life, have responsibilities, choose a job, a family, a place to live? No, not necessarily. 99 out of 100 times, God's gonna give you the freedom to choose what you wanna do with your life. Is it sin? If yes, he's already told you what to do. No, don't do it, right? Don't play with fire unless you wanna get burned. If it's not sin, 99 out of 100 times, I believe God's gonna give you the freedom to pick. And then we start filtering through, okay, of my choices, of, of this school or that school, okay, which one can most honor God? Both equal? Great. Which one do you want to go to? Man, we wanted to plant a church and God was like, I was waiting for God to send me a postcard. I, I kid you not. I was waiting for a postcard to show up in the mail with like, love God, XOXO. I, I was, I was like, God. but then apparently the burning bush thing only happened with one dude. God doesn't speak that way so often. So we started to realize God just wants us to plant a church. Well, where do we want to go? We hate the cold. So we're not going north, right? We, we, there was this freedom to pick, but I'm now picking my decisions and saying, okay, God, what most honors you? What, what career can I best serve you and serve others with that'll best use my talents and skills? This job over here, it might be secure, but I'm miserable. I don't think a miserable employee is God's design for reflecting God well. And so maybe he's saying, hey, take a risk. It's not about the paycheck. Where will you thrive and represent me well? Does that mean that you'll have to change your career like Levi? That he was like, well, to follow Jesus, I, I can no longer be a tax collector. Probably not, but maybe. Maybe you'll have to change your career because because if Jesus says to change our career, to follow him is to surrender our lives and say, all right, I'm following you. But most often God just wants you to honor him in whatever career you choose. Does that mean that you'll never make mistakes again? All right, I'm following Jesus, right? So I'm, 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 I'm on his Congo line. I'm never gonna make a mistake. But, but you and I all know, right? Like I'm following Jesus. The next thing I know, I'm like, hey, what's over here? You know, like I, I'll step over here a little bit. I just wanna check it out. I'm following Jesus, but I'm like, man, I wonder, I wonder how she's doing. Hey, you know, like, w w no, we're still gonna make mistakes. I actually think God expects us to make mistakes. I think, I think what God, this is a thought, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly just kind of pontificating through him, mulling over, right? I don't think God's overly disappointed with our mistakes. I think he expects it, right? When my kids are learning to walk, I expect them to fall. I think what God wants is to see us grow in humility and to own our mistakes well. To confess our mistakes in humility and repent and return well. 
I think God expects us to stumble, but to, to progressively move forward because we're growing. Have you trusted and followed Jesus? Not, not just with a belief in God, in Jesus, but, but legitimately, have you said, man, he's my only hope. I'm following that guy. If this is all ends up to be nothing, well, I'm going down with him. When we stand before God one day, what's our answer? Jesus, that's it. That's my only hope. That's what it means to follow him. Have you trusted and followed Jesus? The invitation is given. But to who? Who gets that invitation to follow Jesus? Right, it says, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Levi's a tax collector, right? And so, so what does that mean? That means a lot in the Bible, in the New Testament. Now, nobody loves the IRS, right? Like, I, I don't know of anybody when you're like, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be in the IRS, right? Like I want to be a tax collector. I just don't know that we think that way. If that was your dream, I, it's a great dream. I'm sorry. That was, that was not thoughtful of me. I'm, no, but I just I haven't met anybody. I would love to meet somebody. That's their, that was their dream is to, to work for the IRS. But a tax collector in the New Testament, a Jewish tax collector was something, was something different. A Jewish tax collector like Levi was somebody who got rich, really rich, by pushing others down. He, he rose up by oppressing and taking from his family and friends and neighbors. He stepped over people on his way to the top. So in, in the day, um, Rome was the ruling government. And for Rome to collect their taxes, they would hire contract employees, basically. Jewish employees who would go and collect taxes for them. And so Levi was a Jewish contractor, contracted with Rome. He partnered with Rome to go and take taxes from his fellow countrymen, his neighbors, his family even. But the way that Levi got his money was by exerting the power of Rome in his favor. So if, if I'm Levi and I'm collecting taxes and I go to Herbert and Rome, Rome says, hey, you need to get $5, I go, great. I got Rome behind me, Herbert, I need eight bucks. Five, I send to Rome, three, I stick in my pocket, right? Then, then I move over here and I'm like, Adam, Rome, what is it, six? Okay, Adam, we need 10. Six I send to Rome, 10 I stick in my pocket. So I'm, I'm literally stealing from my neighbors because I've got the power and force of Rome to enforce, any, to enforce anything if somebody rejects. And so now I'm getting rich by stealing from my neighbors. And so they're literally losing businesses and homes and they can't feed their family because I, your fellow Jew, am stealing from you. They, they knew what they were getting into. It wasn't this accidental like, oh my gosh, I didn't, I didn't mean to hurt you. I didn't mean to betray you. Levi knew what he was signing up for. He knew that to be a tax collector, he was signing up to betray his family and his friends and his neighbors. 
He went into it with eyes wide open. There's nothing that hurts more. There's nothing that is more offensive than somebody knowingly betraying you, knowing what they're doing. That was Levi. He knew what he was doing. And so he was hated among his neighbors, hated by other Jews. It was, it was despicable. He was despised. He was the lowest of the low because he knowingly betrayed them and stole from them. And yet this is who Jesus is calling. This is the one that Jesus stops. Jesus knows what he's doing. Jesus knows who he is. And Jesus says, hey, come with me, follow me. God looks beyond who we are or who we've been. And he sees the potential of who we will become in Jesus. And that's what compels him to move near towards all people. It's not because of who they've been or who they are now, but who they will become in Jesus. It makes me think about David. King David, Samuel goes to Jesse's house, house because God's like, hey, the next king is coming from Jesse's house. And so Samuel rolls up and he's like, Jesse, hey, you got a son? And he's like, dude, I got, a, I got a handful of them, man. He's like, well, bring me the oldest. And so the oldest Eliab comes up and it says Eliab's just jacked. Like he's handsome and he's big and he's strong and he's a warrior and people just kind of respect him. And so Samuel's like, well, dad gum, there he is. There, there, there's our king. Like, I kind of like this guy. And God says this. He says, no, that's not him. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Because God's able to, to look past the exterior and to see inside of what someone will become through Jesus. Do you ever sometimes feel like you're too far gone? Do you ever sometimes feel like, I mean, maybe, but probably not. Does, does the devil do a fantastic job of reminding you who you've been? what you've done, where you've come from, who you've hurt. And, and so you're like, man, I, I don't know. May, may, maybe God can love me, but maybe not really. Like if God really sees everything, which the Bible says all, all throughout that God sees and knows everything. If God really knows everything, like he knows my thoughts, even the thoughts that I've never even verbalized out loud. Like those, those motives that, if I'm really honest with myself, kind of disgust me. If God sees that, like, is he really gonna move near to me? Is he really gonna want this relationship with me? Is he really gonna choose me? If he sees my full record of sin, like everything, is he really gonna walk by and stop and look at me and know everything and still say, I want you? Are you ever... Have you ever just thought like, man, that, like it, it can only go so far now. 
Like I've, I've, I've hit a ceiling because I'm not good enough. I don't do enough. I don't read enough. I don't share enough. What this invitation to Levi tells us is that God's not so interested in who you've been or who you are. He's interested in who you will let him make you to be. He's interested in what's going to come forward in your life. He's interested in taking that and, and using it to make a story that makes God look even more incredible for his love and grace that he shows to you. God's not fixated on something. There's no problem too big. He's like, oh, I don't know what to do with that person. Good gracious. It really is okay to not be okay. It really is. Gosh, you got to hear that. We got to know that it's okay to not have it all together. Because nothing is too big for God. He can take us and shape us and transform us and make us new. And he doesn't just do that once. He does that over and over and over and over again. Every day is a new day where God's like, man, this is, I'm going to work something great today. That's what we see in the invitation of Levi. I would have never picked Levi for my team. If I'm hiring somebody, it's not him. Can't trust this dude. And yet that's who Jesus signs up. Man, we got to know that deep in our souls that God sees you, he knows you through and through and his love has never changed. It has never receded. It's only moving towards you. Man, so what, what is it that changed Levi? You think Levi by his own strength was like, I'm going to be a better man today. I'm going to leave my money and my security. Like he's hated in this town. If he walks away from Rome, he's going to get beat down. He's going to get jumped. Literally, he's going to get killed. It's the grace of God. It's the kindness of Jesus that moves him to repentance. It's the grace of Jesus that loves him nonetheless. Paul, he says in Acts chapter 20, he says, I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul is willing to lay his life down because the grace of God, the good news that God loves you and that God moves near to us and that God has done everything to make us able to have a relationship with him, that, that transformed Paul, that changed Levi. That is what will change you and me today is really seeing the grace of God. Do you, do you know that grace? Like really, do you know that grace? That while you and I were still sinners, while we were actively still sinning, while we were actively in opposition to God, while we were actively moving away from God, that God pursued us in love, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Like, I don't know about you, but when someone is my enemy, I, I want to wait for them to stop and come to their senses and come near to me. Right? Y'all with me on that? Maybe y'all, that's how I operate most often. And yet Jesus doesn't wait for me to clean myself up. He didn't wait for Levi to change. He came to Levi. He comes to us. That's the grace of God for us. While we're still sinners, he comes to us. 
Ephesians 2, it gives such a beautiful picture of this grace that changes us. Ephesians 2, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. When we were dead, man, dead things aren't that impressive. Never do I walk by something dead and be like, gosh, I really want to be with that. Right? It's, it's absurd to think like, I really want this dead thing to be a part of my life. But God doesn't look at it and go, this person is dead. God looks at it and goes, I can make this person alive. I can give new life here. So even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Grace is an undeserving free gift. Dead things don't deserve free gifts. Dead things are dead. So the fact that God in his love, while we were dead in our sins, decides, you know what? I'm gonna go and die for their sins and rise from the dead so that I can breathe new life into them, not because they've done anything, but because I love them, that is grace. And it is that grace that crashes into the soul of Levi and opens his eyes and he goes, oh my gosh, this grace is worth leaving everything for. This grace is worth leaving my, my home and my finances and my security and my job and, and anything and everything. And so my question is, do you know this grace? Do you know this grace? Deep down in your soul, does it amaze you? Or is it just another church term that we throw around and sing some songs about? And really, if we're honest, it, it doesn't move us that much. Do, do you find yourself looking at this and going, oh my gosh, how could God love me this much? Well, be honest, you're just sitting there thinking, man, when is this guy going to stop talking about this grace thing? It's not that impressive. It's possible to, to not be moved by the grace of Jesus. It's possible for it to just be another thing. That's what, that's what we see here with the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Pharisees, right? That the grace of Jesus invites Levi and then he, he has an open seat at the table for all of his tax collectors and sinner friends and the Pharisees are like, ew, Why is Jesus eating with them? To sit at a table and to eat with somebody is to have friendship, it's to have fellowship. It's to, it's to welcome someone into your life. It's, it's to step into the messiness of their world. And, and the Pharisees, the religious people, that's who they are, they're, they're the religious leaders of the day. They're like, why is, why is Jesus doing that? Why, why is he eating with them. Why, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? We see two things here for the religious, the, the church people. They, they miss the grace of God. One, because they're judgmental towards others. And two, because they're self-righteous and they think they're good on their own. They're, they're judgmental towards others. They're, they're looking down on Levi and the tax collector friends. They, they think they're better than them. 
They weigh Levi's sins and they weigh their sins and they go, no, I'm not, I'm not that guy. I may have yelled at my wife, but I'm not, I'm not Levi. I may have screwed up at work, but this guy knows what he's doing. He's a royal jerk. Whether you're a Christian or not, I think we can all find ourselves prone to, to looking down on others and judging others, thinking we're better than them. And it's gonna cause us to miss the grace of God. Have you ever found yourself saying like, oh, I would never do that. Like there's these sins over here. I would, I would never do that. That's what the Pharisees said to Levi. Right? That's thinking better of yourself better than another. You ever said something like, I may not be perfect, but I'm not like so-and-so. You ever listen to someone's story and been like, I'm not that messed up. Have you ever been frustrated with someone's progress? Gosh, they should be better by now. Like, why are they still struggling? Why can't they just stop? Why can't they do this better? Have you ever listened to a sermon and thought, gosh, I really wish you were here to hear this. This would be perfect for him. Let me text him. Hey, you need to check out the sermon, right? Those are, those are statements that may seem simple, but are positioning ourselves better than another. That are failing to see that there's only one person who's ever been innocent. The rest of us are all guilty. God's not looking and going, oh, you're, you're tier one guilt. So that's pretty good. You're tier three. I'm pretty sure that the ground is level at the cross. I don't care what we come with. We're all coming from different angles, but it's level. And when in our minds and hearts, we position ourselves as better, we, we look down on others, we're going to put a hindrance to receiving the grace of God, to miss out on the grace that he has for us. We need to repent. We need to see that we are Levi. We're no better. We're just the same. We, we need Jesus. But the second thing Jesus says that really keys into their heart for what was wrong, why they missed the grace of God is in verse 17. His answer to them was, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. It's not that the Pharisees were righteous. It's not that they were well. Romans 3 says there are none who are righteous. None. It's that the Pharisees didn't see that they were needy. Levi saw that he was needy. 
The Pharisees didn't see it. The Pharisees trusted in themselves. Grace is only amazing to sinners. If we find ourselves today and we're like, ah, grace, you know, the grace of Jesus, you know, it's, it's not moving our hearts. We, we sing songs about how Jesus paid our debt in full. We sing songs about the grace of Jesus and it's just kind of like rote, mundane, karaoke. It's not really moving our hearts. This may be tough to hear, but it's because we don't see grace as that amazing because we're not seeing our need for it. We're not seeing how desperately we need the grace of God to come and clean up our mess. And, and that we may have trusted Jesus, but we still need his grace every single day. It's not like we've trusted Jesus and now I've arrived. I still need his grace to, to make me new and to, to grow me into his image. We, we trust Jesus and then it's this progressive move towards him to be like Jesus, but it's not like I've arrived now. It's like Jesus, me, like whew. But if we fail to see our need for grace, we're gonna be in the same place as the Pharisees, hardening our hearts, putting in obstacles to the grace of Jesus. The good news is that, okay, today's a new day. Let's let God reveal to us our need for his grace and let's receive it. Let's let him speak to us our need, not, not for shame or for guilt, but so that we can see the beauty of his grace, that our hearts can be moved towards him. The reason Levi received the grace is because he knew he needed it. Gosh, I pray that, I pray that I will always be reminded of my, my neediness so that I can celebrate the grace of Jesus. The invitation to follow Jesus, to be a part of his family is given to every one of us today. Every single one of us. But we have to see our need for his grace if we're gonna receive it. We have to know that we can't fix ourselves. Only Jesus can do that. And then we receive what he's already done. And he will change our lives today, tomorrow, the next day, and on. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.